0: This morning we're in uh, the Psalms again, the search in the Psalms, the search for security. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 46. And as you're turning there, just think with me, how many times we made something secure this week? You ever thought about that? You got up and you got dressed, hopefully zipping your pants. You secured them. Hopefully. Someone might tell you later that you didn't, but You, you tied your shoes, you secured them. You buttoned your shirt, you secured it. You got in your car and you buckled your seatbelt, right? You secured it. Your door's probably locked. They secured it. After work, you stopped by the store to get a few things for your wife for dinner and you stood in line securing your place. You bought food, but you used a debit card so you covered your hands securely so no one would see your pen. After dinner, you helped take care of dishes and load them in the dishwasher and closed it, securing it so that water doesn't come out when it runs. At night, what do you do? You lock the doors, securing them. I mean, the list goes on. We could probably think of a 100 more things that we do daily in regards to security. It's part of our daily life. We, We do it so often, we don't even think of it. How many passcodes, let me ask that, how many passcodes did you use this last week? I have one for my phone, for my watch, my computer, my car, my door. My Wi Fi is locked, although I don't have to type it in every time because that's good. My Netflix has a password. Websites, I have so many website passwords that I have a password for another program that stores all of those passwords. <laughs> because using 1234 is not good, I hear. All this is done, right, for security. We live in a culture that is focused on security. Home security, car security, online security. We're searching for security for our lives a number of ways. What kind of security are you looking for? Where do you find this security? You ever thought of how often you think of security? And yet, if you live long enough in this world, you realize things still happen. Houses are still broken into. Banks are hacked. Hacked. Country still has threats from out from places outside. No matter how much effort or, or money we spend on security, we're not spending enough. It seems it's, it's possible to spend an infinite amount of money on security and still not address every evil attack that could happen to us. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't look for those securities that they're they're not wise. It, it means we need to understand the purpose and goal of security. Our, our earthly security can never eliminate any risks on Earth because. We cannot live risk-free lives. It's impossible to live risk-free lives. Only one person lives a risk-free life, and it's not you or me. God lives where there's no risk because only God knows the future. We don't know. And so we live and bring security to help minimize some of the risks, but recognize not to eliminate them. But where do you find security? Where do you look for security? This morning we come to Psalm 46. And the psalm, I believe, is about security. It's a song sung by the church who find their security in God. Follow with me as I read. If you are using the Bible that's provided in the seats, we're on page 441. And we're going to read, I'm going to read uh, Psalm 46. 1 through 11, and listen as I read. To the choir master, the songs of Korah, according to Almath, a song. Verse one, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Some believe that this psalm is in connection to the historical event that you can read in 2 Kings of the Lord's deliverance of Jerusalem from the hand of the king of Assyria. We're not sure, it's the best guess, but it, it seems to fit. The commander of the Assyrian army had attacked Jerusalem and insisted on the surrender of the city, and he spoke to the defenders of the city. In Second Kings 18, 32 through 35, it says, do not listen, this is him talking to God's people. He says, do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are these gods and he's, he's goading them. And on hearing the taunts from his enemy, Hezekiah prays to the Lord, pleading that he would vindicate his name. And he asked that God would respond to his mocking of God and that he would lay waste to this enemy and save his people. And in response, the Lord sent the prophet Isaiah to reassure Hezekiah. And that very night, the Lord sent his angel as the angel of death to destroy much of the Assyrian army forcing them to, to withdraw and then leading them then finally to the assassination of the king by his own two sons. And by the dawn of the next morning, the city was safe. I would encourage you to, to read that story in 2 Kings 18 and 19 this afternoon because it will encourage you of God's faithfulness to his people. And the vital message to, in the times of great change and apparent disaster is that God is the shelter, the security for his people from their enemies, and he is the strength for them. And so the point of this message, the point of the sermon this morning is the only secure place in the world is God alone. The only secure place in this world is God alone, and then we're gonna look at the search for security. So would you join me in prayer as we get started? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to gather together as the church and to worship you and we continue in our worship this morning as we listen to your word preached. Will you be honored and glorified in this God that you would help your people to listen, to learn from you and from your word. We'd apply what your word says to our lives and, and come from this place living faithfully for you in the world and all that you've given us. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. First point I wanna draw your attention to is the security and the power of God. Verses one through three, the security and the power of God. If you're anything like me, you need this psalm for your life. And I find as I've spent more time in the last few weeks in the psalms preparing that this really is God's healing balm to my life and the issues to my soul And we can so easily get distracted from finding security in other things instead of God. Some people believe they'll only be secure if they have enough money. And so they they put plenty aside in their bank accounts and stocks and other assets, monies they believe will be enough for the future. But like the rich man in Jesus' parable, they say, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus calls that person a fool because judgment will come and they have given no thought for God Or what the scripture requires of them. Your your money won't protect you from God's judgment. It can't even protect you from heartbreak, from, from failing, from disease and disaster in this world. Other people think that they'll be secure because of their extensive training, their skills, their personal talents. But just because you have all the education and expertise and talents doesn't mean that they'll always be there and that they'll protect you from any trouble that will come. Still others think they'll only find security when they find that, one, right, love, relationship, once they have that one and that acceptance, it'll bring the security they long for. People turn away from the risks of significance and choose the brief security of success because they really don't believe that God is their strength, that God is their refuge, and God is their defender and their refreshment. And yet there's others who find their security in their families, in their friends, in their business partnerships, and and ultimately loyalties. That's where security is. But these are human supports, and they're uncertain at the very best and very easily can be swept away. So I ask, where is your security in life? A psalmist says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Where is your security this morning? See, the, the, the psalmist reminds us where it should be. God is our refuge and strength. He is our refuge, our protection, our place of shelter where we're safe. And, and this first verse sets the stage for the entire psalm. When life is upside down, when trouble visits our door, we need to remind ourselves that God is our refuge, that He is our strength. And I love how this is written in present tense. Did you notice that? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It's it's not that God was a help and He was, or, or that He will be a help and He will, but that right now, God is our help. He is our refuge. He wants our eyes to look right now. God is more present than any person on earth. He is more present in your life than your closest friends. He is more present than your closest spouse. He is more present than even the trouble that has come upon you. And don't miss the the personal possessive word, our. You you can't miss this. He is my refuge. He is my strength when trouble comes. And this this trouble means to be in a tight place, to be restricted, to be tied up, to be in a narrow and cramped place. And when we're in trouble, what do we need? We need help. We need help. And he says, God is that very present help, which means it's an uh, abundant help. It's, It's available right now. It's accessible right now. No need to wait. God is present and giving help. And then, then the psalmist gives some vivid imagery of what trouble may come. He says there in verse two, therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And he begins with this bold statement. Did you catch it there in verse two? We will not fear. We have God on our side. And how foolish for the Christian that fear is regardless of what this psalmist faces, they have no reason to fear. He, he's again reminding us, God is in control, even though the earth gives way, even though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. This is a picture of confusion and chaos, earthquakes with Paul, lofty mountains coming down. Your Mountains there represent stability and continuance. He just, Look, right, I mean, I don't, are you encouraged when you see the Mount, Mount Rainier out there? My kid's call it the Mount Rainier. I encouraged. Mean, God's still on the throne. Even though these things may happen in life, the you know, overthrow of nations, the collapse of dynasties, the families ruined and separated, the persecution of the church, the reign of heresy in this world, all of that may happen. The worst of the worst can come, but if God is still present, he's still in control. Verse 3, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at swelling, no matter what the trouble is, friends, no matter how loud the noise is, God is our refuge. God is our strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Do you believe this? Has this been true for your life? As you've lived in this fallen world live around sinners in the midst of a sinful world has has God been your refuge and strength when the cancer diagnosis comes do you run to God for shelter and strength when you so desperately want to have kids but God has allowed barrenness do you find hope in knowing God has everything under control when the spouse that swore they would love you in sickness and health and prosperity and need and leaves you, have you found hope in the God of the universe? This is the waters roaring, the the foaming, the mountains trembling. When the lure and seduction of pornography grips your soul and pulls you deeper and deeper, do you run to God and find satisfaction and promise in him? When you battle the same-sex attraction that you're so fearful of sharing with anyone and feeling the pull from the culture that says you just need to indulge in your urges, do you instead run and hide in the protection of God? When a loved one turns away from God and rejects him, do you begin to question the goodness of God and his ability to work, or do you run, find your refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble? And perhaps the mountains are crumbling into the sea this morning in your life. The waters are roaring and foaming. Have you found God to be a refuge and strength? And you come to God knowing he hears you, that he desires to comfort and protect you. Or do you run to the world looking for peace there? Whatever comes, no matter the difficulties, big or small, consistent or slow, Friend, we have a refuge. We have a loving and caring God who is present right now. Even though it seems that evil is winning, God hasn't relinquished control. He cannot. And then the psalmist ends this section, Selah. There are three throughout the psalm. It gives us the break of, of my sermon outline. Three that, that give us a pause. Selah means to rest, to be silent, to consider. It's mentioned 74 times in Scripture, 71 of those times in the Psalms. And he's telling us, pause. Be silent. Think. I really feel like most of us have too much going on. We don't spend enough time just Being silent. I did a revolutionary thing this week. I deleted Facebook and Instagram from my phone. Yeah. Praise the Lord, huh? I'm not saying they're evil. Please don't get that. Don't go that round. Y'all don't like it. It's fine. Whatever. But for me, I found more opportunities to pause and be silent. I run to that distraction. And we need to spend time to consider God, to remember him. Is it possible that God has brought trouble in your life to make sure you understand again who's in control? He loves you so much that he can't leave you the way you are, so he brings in pain and discomfort so that you would stop trusting in yourself and that you would trust in him. You would stop trusting in your your cleverness, your wisdom, your strength and you would rely on him. God didn't bring you to this point to destroy you. He's working. This should bring us hope. God isn't here to bring you down. God is the one holding you up with his grace. Isaiah says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. The Father is there. He's walking with you. Take comfort this morning that we serve and love a God who cares for us deeply. Have you paused this week to consider God? Selah. Consider what God has done. Meditate on God. Meditate on his word. Consider what's going on in life and compare it with the word. The earth may be giving way. The mountains may be crumbling and the oceans roaring, but and God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our present help. And we can have security in the power of God. Second, we can have security in the presence of God. When trouble comes into our lives, what we need most isn't a resolution, but a person. A security is not found in understanding why God has allowed trouble in our lives. Our security isn't found in the belief that we can somehow muscle our way through it. Our security isn't found in doctors, lawyers, pastors, family and friends. Our security isn't found in strength. Our security isn't found in ideas or things. Our security is only found in the presence of God. He is not weakened by that which weakens us. He is not confused by what confuses us. He doesn't suffer from mood swings. He doesn't exhaust from time spent with people. He doesn't ever make bad decisions. He never says the wrong thing at the wrong time. He never regrets how he's acted. He never acts out of anxiety or compulsion. God is never frustrated by us asking him. God's never put off. He never dreads the time of the day when we pray. He's never thwarted by opposition. He is holy and completely like no other human being on earth. And that's what's comforting to me Because he's unlike me in all of my frailties. He has unlimited power. He has never-ending compassion. He has enduring patience. He is perfect in every way. And he dwells with us. And he ensures us that he's never going anywhere. Amen? And the psalmist speaks now of the presence of God. We need this. He says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Although the, the foundations of the earth are shaking and collapsing, he says there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Jerusalem was often designated as the city of God. It was a city where the Most High would dwell. God isn't only our defender, he's our strength for living. He's our supplier. He, he makes Jerusalem, his, his people, literally secure and peaceful and strong. He, he makes her the place of joyful, abundant life. One commentator said in the, uh, the hot climate of the Near East, water is one of the most obvious necessities and it becomes a symbol of life and plenty. And that's what the psalmist is driving home. And so the, the picture of Jerusalem with a river supplying it is a picture of his joyous prosperity. The water is clear and cool and fresh and abundant and happy. And that's why the city is secure, because God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. But think Past this picture of Jerusalem, the city that the psalmist has in mind. Most, if you ask today in our culture, know what happened on September 11th, 2001. It's a date that just sticks with us. But do you know what happened on August 24th, 410? That was the day the army of the Goths came over the wall and destroyed Rome. They came over the wall for three days and they burned and they plundered and they killed. But they didn't invade and occupy. It's as if they wanted to say, oh, you superior civilization, look at what we barbarians can do. And they swooped in, they wasted part of the city and they left. And there was this enormous shockwave that went through the entire intellectual and cultural and social and emotional world as a result of this. On the one hand, What people were saying was, if Rome is not secure, what's secure? If Rome can fall, we can fall. It wasn't just a simple financial, physical thing. People were saying, if the impossible has happened, the unthinkable has happened, then what? And friends, this was unthinkable. If the unthinkable has happened, how do we know that I'm thinking about anything else in life? Everything for them in their life was thrown into uncertainty. Everything was up for grabs. Relevant, don't you think? The Christians were every bit as shattered as the pagans then. And the reason for that was that in the last hundred years before the fall of Rome, Christians had been starting to move up. They had been starting to move into the city, into the circles of power in Rome. They were moving up into the areas of influence and the government and businesses and so on. And they finally had made it in the world. They, They were finally going to change how the world thought and how the world acted. And everybody said, this is the way God is going to do it. If we win Rome, and we're winning Rome, we've won the world. This is how God's going to do it. This is how God is going to spread the gospel through the world. Now, why has God abandoned us? What is going on? How could God let this happen? And into the vacuum came Augustine, Augustine, who wrote a small book, *The City of God*. Greatest of his books, the most remarkable of his books, only 700 pages long. Hardest to read of his books. It's my summer re-read. So if you want to join with me, let me know. And he says a couple great things. He studies the Bible and he looks at Rome. He looks at the situation. He said essentially. One of the reasons why you're so absolutely freaking out is you've confused the city of earth with the city of God. I'm going to step on toes this morning, okay? So just be prepared. There is no eternal human city. He says there is only one city that cannot be broken. There's only one city that cannot be torched. There's only one city that cannot be bombed. There's only one city, and it's the city of God. If you remember the city of God, you're absolutely secure. You see, if you kill the members of the earthly city, the city is gone. He says, if you kill the members of the city of God, all you're doing is moving them to better quarters in the city. The more you kill the city of God, the more it works to a perfect completion. You can't kill the city of God. It's going to come. It's coming. And here in the psalm, Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. And what is he talking about? A city with a river going through it, it cannot be overtaken, right? You see, what would overtake and besiege a city, you would starve them. That's how you do it. You'd weaken them and then you went in because they're starving, are destroying each other. It's a terrible, horrific thing. There's no food, there's no water and you can't besiege, you can't overtake a city with a river going through it because they would always have water and they would always have food. And as a result, What he's saying is there's one city and there's only one city where you can be secure. And if you're freaking out, it's because you think your real wealth is in this earthly city. There's no eternal city on earth, there's no human city. But if you're in the city of God, you're secure. This is a city that has to triumph, it will triumph. Nothing can stop this. And you know what happened? You know, Augustine was right. Because Rome did break down. It did not recover. Society for centuries became really broken down, became disordered, partly because Augustine helped with giving the church a theological vision. What happened? The city of God continued. Because people needed to lift up their eyes from their earthly city, they needed to look up. So, how do we apply this today? We have not arrived here in America. And maybe you think, because we have a president in the office that fits your political leanings, that God is not working. God is now going to make us this perfect nation. You might be thinking, we're winning. Let's make this nation great again. If we win this nation, this sell, God is going to do it. We've got this. Look, look, look. But listen, friends. The Bible says there's only one city of God, and it's not in America. Stop putting your security in the Oval Office. Stop it. That's offensive to God. Stop putting your security in the Supreme Court. It's it's not where God dwells. Our security need to be in something that will not disappoint us. And you will not find that city on earth. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, he says. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. God, with all of his nature and perfections, is on the side of the church. He is not reluctant to help. He's not sitting up in heaven in a rocking chair with an old beard, upset that we're bothering him because he's taking a nap. He delights in helping his children And his help is always timely and seasonable. And we may be slow in spending time with God, but he's never slow with us. And what's the tool that he has to combat this world? He says in verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters with his voice, the earth melts. Although the, the loudness and frequency of those that combat God with All of their weapons have us concerned. The Lord lifts up his voice and drowns out all the other voices. And as a result, the psalmist says, the earth melts. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is with us. The psalmist says, uses the same language talking about God that we saw a few months ago in James Ford. you remember? The Lord of hosts. He, he rules the angels, the stars, the elements, the planets, the hosts of heaven. He rules the rulers of earth, whether they do it or not. He rules the Senate. He rules the house. He rules the governor's mansion. He rules the over office. He rules all the armies of men. They are all under his control and they will bend to his will. HE IS WITH US. HOW DO WE MAKE SENSE OF THIS PRESENCE? In the, IN THE OLD TESTAMENT, GOD PROMISED TO BE WITH HIS PEOPLE, BUT THAT PROMISE MEANT SOMETHING DIFFERENT THAN IT DOES TODAY. WHEN THE TABERNACLE WAS BUILT, THE of GLORY OF GOD FILLED THE MOST HOLY PLACE, AND God, GOD IN A CLOUD OF GLORY MADE HIS PHYSICAL PRESENCE VISIBLE TO HIS PEOPLE. In, IN A REAL WAY, THE TABERNACLE WAS HIS residence WITH HIS PEOPLE. THIS MEANT HE WAS PRESENT WITH HIS PEOPLE, BUT TO EXPERIENCE HIS PRESENCE, YOU HAD TO GO WHERE HE WAS. But in the New Testament, in Matthew 28, Jesus says something revolutionizing to us. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling us that what has happened as a result of his life and his death and his resurrection, no longer would his children have to go to a temple to experience his presence. Instead, his people would become the place where God lives. This is fantastic news. If you are here this morning, you're God's child. He has unbuttoned you and gotten inside of you. He dwells with you. We don't have to go where God is because where we are, he is. Whether you're in the midst of suffering and trouble or not, if you've forgotten or ignored or said to him, he lives inside of you, Christian. When you're sitting in the doctor's office, You've carried him there with you. In the moments of physical pain, he is right there. When a loved one has turned his back on you, he is still there with you. When you've received devastating news, God is there. When you're stressed and confused and depressed, he is there. No matter how hard and how dark the situation in your life is, God is with you. And you will find security in your life with the presence of God who comes with you. That's the only way. The third thing I want you to look at is the security and the purpose of God. Verses 8 through 11. Do you remember learning about Stonewall Jackson in school? I was reminded of him a few weeks ago by Dave Allen. If you want to know what Stonewall Jackson looks like, just look at Jason Rasmus. Where's he at? He's not here. I was purchasing a book this week, and I looked at the cover, and it was Jason right there. I texted him and said, are you related? His real name is Tom Jackson. He had a strong, unshakable belief in the sovereignty of God, that God is always in control, even when it seems the world around us is falling apart. The The first battle of bull run, while shells and bullets were flying around, Jackson stayed on his horse and remained calm and collected like nothing else was going on. General Bernard B. saw this and told his throne troops, quote, there stands Jackson like a stone wall. Men, let's determine to die here with him. After that battle, Tom Jackson's brigade became known as Stonewall Brigade, and he would forever be known as Stonewall Jackson. Jackson's courage and composure really came out of In great battle, during the heat of the battle, a messenger came at one point and handed Jackson a letter to sign. He dismounted, and when he did, a cannonball blew up a tree that was nearby. Wood chips rained down on Jackson. And without missing a step, he calmly brushed the wood chips from the paper and continued reading. And then he mounted his horse like nothing had happened. People would see this and were amazed at his composure when danger was all around. And someone asked him how he could do it. And Jackson's response was right on. He says, my religious belief teaches me that I'm just as safe on the battlefield as I am in my bed. The Lord has already appointed the day of my death, so I need not worry about that. I live my life and prepare myself so I, I, so I will always be ready to meet my Lord when death does overtake me. Stonewall Jackson had a biblical view of life and the purpose of God. He was secure. Are you? His success success in this was his pursuit of God. That's how he came to this conclusion. He he didn't allow the chaos around him to dictate how he lived his life. He found his his peace and security in God alone. And because of that persistence, he found the purpose of God. The psalmist teaches us about God in verse 8. He says, Come, behold the works of the Lord... How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters his spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see the works of the Lord. Look, look back and see how the Lord has answered. How the Lord has defeated his enemies of Israel how he's brought this this completion to those evil empires, the desolation on earth. It means that he is destroyed in such a way to astonish those that look on. And think back in our history of ruined cities of Assyria and Babylon and Petra and Canaan, the ruined leaders of Herod and Nero and Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi and Castro and Bloody Mary and Genghis Khan and Hitler. Behold the works of our Lord. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. All of the instruments of war, all these weapons, he piles and heaps and heaps. They are useless after God steps in. And then verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, I believe. Perhaps, though, one of the most misinterpreted verses also. This isn't a call for us as Christians to just be contemplative. In fact, it has nothing to do with meditation at all. If this is where your mind goes, you've been led wrong. This is a redemptive call to surrender and to know God personally and intimately. Spurgeon says... Hold off your hands, ye enemies. Sit down and wait in patience, ye believers. Acknowledge that Jehovah is God, ye who feel the terrors of his wrath. Adore him and him only, ye who partake in the protection of his grace. I like the New American Standard Version better. It says, cease striving and know that I am God. I think that translates a little better. Cease striving against God who created you and is Lord. It's an imperative verb in the Hebrew. Not so much... Be still with a soft voice. Be still. No. It's stop it. When a Hebrew imperative, stop it right now. Stop exerting yourself and your agenda like you're God. Stop. Elizabeth Elliot says, lay down your arms. Surrender and acknowledge that I am the one and only victorious God. The psalmist the here is warning those that are against God that your continued fight against God will end poorly. Stop fighting against him. Stop pushing against God. Why? Because he says, I will be exalted in the earth. Friends, if you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, today is the day of salvation. The psalm is a warning to you. Don't run from it. Lean into it. Cease striving and know that he is God. Stop running away. Stop. Stop living your life your own way. Stop. Turn to Christ. This verse is a warning, not a bumper sticker. If you're a Christian here this morning, this psalm and and all of it in its full context should be a comfort for you, isn't it? It should be. You experience this in your life when the confidence that you had in something in this life gives way, you can trust in God. When the ground is shaking, the mountains teetering, you can trust in the God of Jacob because he is your fortress. He is your mighty tower. He is your refuge and strength. It is in those very trials that we initially hate and loathe, those are the times that God uses those situations to draw us to himself so that we would trust in him when all of the other human supports fall away. And God uses those trials in our lives to show others who watch us, who know us, so that they can see how dear God is to our hearts. God uses those situations in our life to magnify the gospel. If you're here this morning, those moments of peace and security are foreign to you, my friend. It's perhaps you might be in the outside looking in. Perhaps you have continued to look for peace and security in things other than Jesus Christ, and they continue to fail you, and they disappoint. Don't you want to experience peace, true and lasting eternal peace? This is what we're talking about here. This is the remembrance that he calls our attention to. And he says this, come, behold the works of the Lord. Remember who God is and what God has done. This is only reserved for Christians. We can recall what God has done in our lives. We can recall what God has done in our church and through the gospel. We can remember how he has been faithful to give us all that we've ever needed. We can behold the works of the Lord and we can see his purpose in it all. And his purposes are not yet completed. He is God, and He says He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted on the earth. See, on that glorious day when Christ rose from the dead, defeating sin, securing salvation for all who would believe. On that day, everything changed. And from that day to this day, Christ is still Lord on the throne. And yet, we look forward, yet to the coming day when He's coming back to make everything right he will be exalted friends abandon your search for anything else other than the security of god your security should only be found in god he uses this first person plural throughout the psalm did you notice that this was written for and to be used by god's people we we gather together as a church to worship god he, he is our god He is our refuge. We will not fear. The Lord of hosts is with us. We do this together as the church. Many have quoted this psalm over the years of history. Many in our world know these words, quoting these words, but unfortunately many quoted these words having no relationship with the God of these words. They feel that it might bring some needed relief, but ultimately it further confirms of their separation. Make no mistake, these words can and should be comforting, but only if the God of Jacob is your God. The words say the God of Jacob, my question for you this morning, is He your God? Christ came to fulfill the law. He came to be our substitute for us on the cross and to rise again and and to save all those who would turn from their sin and trust in him. So I ask, have you turned from your sins? Are you clinging to Christ above all else in this world? Have you trusted in him to cleanse you of all righteousness? This is the call of God to you in this psalm. And the only way for true security is in God alone. I haven't said this yet, but for some of you, you recognize this psalm because it's Martin Luther's favorite psalm. When February came in 1546, Luther was already known as a major reformer and leading figure in the history of the church. And as he lay on his deathbed in Germany, his last words, our God is the God from whom comes salvation. God is the Lord by whom we escape death. Firm to the very end, Luther remained strong in his faith in the Lord. God was his mighty fortress. He was his bulwark, never failing, both in life and death. And he was willing to forego any earthly security so that he could fully know and experience security in God. And by faith in Christ and Christ alone, his work in the cross. So as we close In our time together, I'm going to pray. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing, along with Luther, his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that you alone are our refuge and you are our strength. Though the whole world may fall down and around us, To your holy place in Zion do we look forward to. To that city of God where every tear will be wiped away and every fear dispelled. Teach us uh, to look to you so that we can direct others to look and see your good works. God of Jacob, open our eyes to see your exalted position. Be glorified in us as we worship you with our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.